This is Talk Is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Frontiersman Gear. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Frontiersman Gear, for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. <laughs> so, hey, John, how's it going? Good. Good. Um, I'm going to wish you a, a special happy birthday, I guess, too, eh? Yeah, geez, I uh, hit the half century mark yesterday, so that's... It was uh, it was a good day. I had a lot of friends in town, and you know, Jana. She doesn't do anything halfway, so she threw a big old party, and it was fun. I had a new granddaughter born the night before my birthday. I told my daughter she needed to hang on to her for three more hours so that we could share a birthday, but she said the baby had other plans. So it's been a <laughs> yeah, it's been a good good couple of days. Oh, that's awesome. So lots of family and friends in town, and. Oh yeah, yeah Jana didn't good. mess around. Oh no, when she, when she puts together a celebration, it's it's over the top. Oh, that's a fifties a good one to do that with. <laughs> yeah, I guess you got to celebrate while you can. At that point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So for our uh, our listeners at home who might not know you, who are you? Where are you from? Well, I. Uh, I grew up in a little town in central Utah on a ranch, on a sheep ranch, actually. And uh, right now I live in Springville, Utah. Me and Janet are in the process of buying a house about uh, 20 minutes to the south of where I'm sitting right now that we'll close on here in another month. And so just here in Utah, enjoying the extended winter and spring and looking forward to some some warmer weather, but uh, been involved with uh, conservation organizations, hunting groups, uh, you know, avid lifelong hunter, and just seems like those kind of things, you know, you get into them and uh, they have a tendency to grow on you. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to be involved with uh, the Sheep Foundation now for over 10 years at their sheep show, helping out with the auctions and really enjoyed it. Yeah, you're uh, you're a staple at the show for sure. Kind of the, the, <laughs> the center attraction every night there. <laughs> well, I you know I don't know about that. I think that uh, people, you know, those shows are a lot of fun. I have a whole group of friends that I see once or twice a year, and it's always at you know the the sheep show or the hunt expo or SCI or something like that. And you look forward to seeing them every year, seeing how their hunts went, seeing how their clients did. And, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing how hunting and conservation really does bring, you know, people together and the, the friends you meet, the people you meet. And, you know, after a year or two of knowing somebody like that, it's, you know, it's almost like their family. Yeah. It's kind of a neat, uh, neat circle and family down at the shows, you know, all these people you never see, and then you're there and you feel like, you know, the person forever and it's. Last time you seen him was 365 days ago in the same spot. So it's it's kind of it's a really cool environment, and everybody's got something in common, and we're all there for the same goal, and that's conservation and put money put money where our mouths are, pretty much. Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a fun thing to be part of for sure. Yeah. 
if anybody uh, listening and you haven't been down to Sheep Show or SEI or Western Hunt Expo, got to go to one of them. This oh week. yeah, it's uh, it's fun. The the uh, you know the Sheep Show and the sheep community is so dedicated and driven and just uh, they're just diehards. I mean and we all get together and you hear guys talking about, you know, outfitters that passed away, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago that everybody knew and they, their name still gets brought up. The things they did still get brought up. And I mean, once you're, you know, it's kind of like a motorcycle gang. It's almost like blood in blood out. Once you're part of the sheep family, there's, there's no going back. You're, you're part of it. Yeah. I'm finding that all out. Uh, <laughs> only been a part of it for a few years and it seems like I'm all in and just <laughs> sucks you right in and you're trapped. Well, but, uh, you know, working with Kyle, he's, he's, uh, he's pretty diehard into all of it too. And so, yeah, you're, you're yeah, in now. Yeah. He traps you. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't let you go. You get voluntold a lot, but Hey, here we are. <laughs> That's exactly right. Voluntold. <laughs> But uh, so that the, sh- the show season that's that's got to be quite intensive for you. It seems every time, every weekend, you're somewhere else hitting. You know how many yeah, shows do you it, do? Uh, as far as the big shows, I probably do four a year. You know, like Western Hunt, uh, Sheep Show. Uh, I did a little bit uh, at. I was at SCI just for a day and a half this year. Uh, doing the bread auction down there. I actually got to hang out with uh, Gray Thornton down there for a while and spend some good time with him. I did the Weatherby auction at Dallas Safari Club, and that starts, you know, first of the year. So actually this come, well, last weekend and this weekend are the first two consecutive weekends since the first of the year that I've had no events or no banquets no auctions uh so it's been it's been really busy but it's you know i there's days where you just lay back on the bed in the hotel and kick your boots off and think i'm done i can't go and then five minutes later you're looking at your watch pulling your boots back on thinking i can't be late i gotta get down there and see my buddies and you know talk to them before the auction and but it's been an amazing year. It really has been an amazing year. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, kind of the, the sheep show I mentioned to you, you know, when we were just getting hooked up and, and uh, set up here that we sold more sheep permits at sheep show this year for over $300,000 than we ever have. We sold the, uh, Oh, was it the Montana or the Alberta tag? I forget for like four hundred and sixty thousand dollars, you know, and that that tag holds the all time record, I think, at Sheep Show for four hundred and eighty thousand. Uh you know, and that's been ten years ago that we sold that one for that amount. And to see the the uh, interest just stay with those permits and all that money be raised and the things you know, I've been involved long enough now. I've seen uh I've seen herds that got started from the money we raised, you know, now they're producing permits and people are getting to hunt on those units. So it's pretty, it's pretty fun. And it's, you know, I feel like I have a pretty unique niche in the, in the hunting world, being able to 
do the auctions and go to all the shows and meet everybody and see you guys spend their, their hard-earned money on these permits. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's quite the buzz in the room, and you know you're a big part of that buzz. And it's 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 neat watching you up on stage. Actually, you you seem to be enjoying it just as much as everybody else does. And when tags go big, you're you're just as excited jumping up and down. Oh yeah, you know I uh, I I watch the videos back of when we sell those permits, and I always think, geez, if I just calm down a little bit and you know keep my act together a little better i probably wouldn't lose my voice so bad the next day but when you know you're close to breaking a record and like you said there's a real buzz in the room and people are excited and they're looking around to see who's going to step up and spend the money this year it's it's hard not to really get wound up and excited and i uh always end up stomping on the stage and the next morning i wake up my hips and back are sore and i think dang i got to I got to stop stomping on the stage, but it's just, I mean, it's just habit now. It's kind of what I do. And if I don't stomp on the stage, there's always somebody that comes to me after and goes, what's wrong? You know, or you, <laughs> yeah. you didn't even stomp one time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a lot of fun. And it's, uh, I wish everybody could one time in their life stand up there and, and kind of get that look at it and get that view of, uh, really conservation in action because there's people in that room you know whether it's a sheep show western hunt sci there are people in that room from every continent all over the world you know many different countries and they're all there for the same reason because well for a couple reasons first being that they are uh, you know very pro hunting and pro conservation and they are addicted to hunting sheep and they will pretty much do anything to be in a place where they could buy or win or sit next to somebody that's going to win a sheep tag or buy a sheep tag. Cause it is, you know, it's, it's addicting as, as you know, that whole atmosphere is, is very addicting. Oh yeah. I'm one of my favorite parts of when we're auctioning off a tag and the people bidding against each other at opposite sides of the room. So everyone's trying to see back and forth, running around, jumping up and down and, <laughs> Your spotters are just hyping up the crowd, basically, and you're up on stage giving her a good go, and you know it's everyone's got a few drinks in them, and I don't know, it's it's tough <laughs> to explain if you're not there. Like I'm getting the chills just thinking about it right now. Looking forward to next year already. <laughs> yeah, it's you know I I it's fun to stand up there and and run the microphone, and you know there's a lot going on. You gotta. Sometimes you have to stop and sort things out and make sure everybody knows who's in and where the bid is and what the amount is. And up in uh, Canada, up there where you're at, you guys have, you know, one of the best auctioneers that ever lived in Keith Dinwoody up there. And uh, the pandemics kind of kept Keith away from the show for a couple of years, but uh he promised me he'll be back this year and, and be ready to roll. But Keith is uh, one of the fun things about working with Keith is, you know, I get all wound up and sometimes I get so excited. I'll get talking and joking around and then you're like, all right, you know, where's the bid? Who's in? And Keith is always right on the money. He never loses his place. He never loses how, you know, where the bid's out, how much it's for. And he always really helps me stay on track. And uh, it'll be nice to have Keith back this year. But I wish everybody could stand up there and kind of have that 
view of it and see those ringmen out there, those spotters, you know, jumping up and down to make sure they get your attention and waving the lights and you see them prodding the guys on, trying to get them to bid, you know, one more time. And, you know, cause you can tell if a guy's bidding, say he's at a hundred thousand dollars and you're going, you know, $10,000 bids. And all of a sudden a guy tries to cut you down to a thousand dollar bid, you know, he's about out of money. Yeah. And so the other guys are telling the other bidders, you know, that guy's about out of money. Come on, let's, you know, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And you see all these little, all these little uh, parties and these little conversations going on around the room, you know, as guys are trying to talk their buddies into bidding or maybe, you know, nah, don't bid so much on this one. And, you know, like the BC tags coming up, we'll get that one or the, you know, the, uh, the Kalani tags coming up and we'll get that one or it's, there's a million things going on uh that you're trying to keep track of and it's it's a lot of fun it's uh uh-huh. it is a lot of fun oh yeah and their buddies are patting them on the back like, oh, oh yeah got this. tag man they're they're dancing <laughs> on the tables yeah what what uh what got you into that like because you're if i'm not mistaken you're an electrician by trade i am an electrician uh by trade and i've done that for almost 30 years, I guess. And our sportsman group here in Utah, I uh, was a volunteer in our Utah County chapter and I hired a guy to come help us out and be the auctioneer. And he did fine, but I thought, I bet I could do that. I bet I could do that. (laughs) And uh, I uh, talked to the family and talked to my parents and I was in my mid twenties and I said, uh, I'm going to go to auctioneer school. And I remember my mom telling me, Oh, Oh honey, you talk way too slow. You talk way too slow. And I told her, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's why you go to auctioneer school. So I remember at work, we had just barely got the internet hooked up. And, uh, so I could get on the internet and I started looking around for auctioneer schools and found one. I thought I could work into my schedule and I called and told my dad and he said, well, if you'll sign up and go, I'll go with you. So me and my dad went to auctioneer school and, uh, that next year I did maybe two or three, just little auctions, local stuff around here. And then the next year I probably did five or six. And then the next year it kind of got crazy and I got up into the 20 or 30 range. And now, I mean, some years I do 50 of them and most of them are between, it used to be between January and June was my busy time and I didn't do anything in the fall. And I looked at my schedule this morning and my fall's getting crazy busy too. I got to start telling people no, or I'm not going to have any time to go hunting, but, and most of the auctions I do are, you know, uh, conservation banquets and expos and stuff like that. I do a lot of, uh, uh, 4-H and FFA stuff in the high schools for the kids you know studying agriculture and stuff like that they they get me for a lot of those i really enjoy those but uh that's yeah that's basically i uh, hired a buddy to come be an auctioneer for us and thought you know i could i could i think i could probably do that and it just it grew and grew and grew and now it's it's uh i'll run into people at the during my day job for an electrician, I'll run into people at the parts house buying electrical parts, and they'll look at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm at work. And they're like, geez, it didn't even dawn on us that you might have a day job. You know, we thought you just talked on the microphone for a living. But 
You're just a normal guy who uh, yeah, just hits the stage every now and then. Drive a work <laughs> truck and wear Carhartt work clothes during the day and then get a – I'm pretty lucky. I have a pretty fun job on the weekends. But. Yeah. No, that's a, that's that's quite a good good mix of things to go from electrician to auctioneering, some of those <laughs> big tags. So it's, Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun to sell those big tags. So the, uh, well, the, we talked a little bit offline about this, but, you know, something special happened at the Western Hunt Expo this year. Mind telling us a little bit about that? Uh, well, the, yeah, I mean, they, yeah. The, so for years and years, the most uh, money I'd ever raised on a tag was at Sheep Show. We sold one of the Rocky tags for $480,000. And I thought for years, you know, I'd never never break that record we sold the antelope island tag at the western hunt expo uh for 400 and 410 and then it would drop back down to around 300 which you know was an insane amount of money that's just a lot of money and this year at sheep show it seemed to be you know there was a lot of money like i said we sold more permits than we ever had over three hundred thousand dollars and so i knew it was going to be a real good year for for the big tags and raising money the friday night auction at the western hunt expo we sold the antelope island mule deer tag for five hundred thousand dollars and i thought you know that's we'll never break that record that record will stand forever well then i get talking to a couple of the outfitters that were bidding on it and they're like you know the next morning, Saturday morning, they said, you know, the Arizona tag tonight could go for more. And I'm like, yeah, you guys are just talking. And uh, they said, no, make sure that, you know, you keep an eye on us. And they, everybody always says that. Make sure you watch me on this tag. Make sure you watch me on this tag. And it only took, a, you know, a few seconds for the Arizona tag to go over 500,000, 600,000. I mean, these guys are jumping it, you know. 50,000 a jump and it was uh it was pretty crazy and yeah we sold that Arizona tag for $725,000 and you know it only took of course took a few hours for the critics to come out and oh it's all about the money and you know the normal blue collar guy ain't got a chance and da 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 you know I hear that all the time all the time and uh you know, where does the money go and where does the money go? And, you know, the first little bit, it kind of aggravates you because you, it's something that you put, you know, so much heart and soul into. And then I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to educate a few people. And uh, I start telling people, I did a little math and I can't remember what exactly I came, came up with. But I said the one guy for one deer tag gave as much money to the fishing game of Arizona as basically 11,000 other deer permits, you know, it would take 11,000 other deer permits to raise. And 100% of that money went back to the fishing game, Arizona. $500,000, 90% of that money goes back to the Antelope Island State Park. The other 10% goes to the organization to use on projects uh, that they want to do. Uh, the $480,000 tag from years ago the four hundred sixty thousand dollar tag this year in in uh, reno you know 100 percent of that money goes back on the ground to fund 
sheep permits or to fund sheep projects. And guys, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's jealousy. I don't know if it's, I think it probably, a lot of it has to be the guys just don't like the, the idea of selling permits, but it's, uh, it's really neat to be part of that. And here in the state of Utah, when we first started selling permits, we had six sheep tags, six bighorn sheep tags in the whole state. Uh, they took one of those permits, they sold it for $20,000 and funded some projects to do some transplants. And in uh, about 30 years, now we're up to, oh, I just looked at it too and I can't remember exactly, about 60 sheep tags. And all that is a direct uh, result of the conservation efforts that are paid for by sportsmen. And I always ask guys if, uh, I said, well, would you feel better about it if I sold that deer tag for $100,000 instead of $700,000? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, could you afford it then? Well, no. Okay. So then I start asking guys, if we're going to sacrifice a permit to the money gods, do we not owe it to every single person involved? The, the general hunt, you know, the average Joe, everybody likes to use that term, the average Joe hunter that would have drawn that tag had it been in the draw. Uh, you know, every, up to everybody involved, the, the biologists that work on the projects, everybody involved, do we not owe it to everybody to maximize that sacrifice that donation if you will we're donating that sheep tag we're sacrificing it to the money gods the more money we get out of it the better off we all are we're going to sell it anyway so i'd much rather sell it for seven hundred thousand than a hundred thousand you know 100%. and uh, it's a it's a little bit of a you know that i have that conversation with people probably this time of year probably every week during convention season when we're selling the permits i probably have that conversation two or three times a day but yeah. i am a, it, you know and it's easy for him to say and i get asked all the time well how much of that do you make well they pay me a flat rate to go to the show and if i sell that permit for ten dollars or a million dollars i make the same now if i only sold it for ten dollars you're never going to see me at the show again because greg's <laughs> going to find somebody else to you know to replace me but uh the auctioneer's don't make a cut. Uh, you know, it's all flat rate auctions and all that money goes back into, uh, to con conservation and to grow sheep. And, you know, $725,000, you can do a lot of projects. You can fix a lot of acreage. You can do a lot of transplants. Uh, you know, that buys a lot of helicopter fuel and, and guzzlers and water projects and all those kind of things that uh, really feed the sheep program. So, oh yeah, we'd like as beneficiaries of a lot of that money when you know, when the tag BC tag gets sold, that one person opening up their pockets, they're doing more for conservation than ninety nine percent of the people out there talking about it. And yep. they're the ones, you know, a lot of us are volunteers, but there are a lot of people that have to get paid for what they're doing and that money's going towards boots on the ground making things happen and yeah if if uh 
if we didn't have the volunteers that that helped you know it would really really stifle our conservation efforts if we didn't have biologists that were just obsessed with wildlife and loved their jobs and were willing to work for you know peanuts compared to what other professions work for with their kind of degrees would really be in trouble but also if we didn't have now do i wish i could afford a sheep tag every year oh yeah i would do it i would do it but i'm glad that those guys that can't afford it are choosing to put their money into conservation and into sheep hunting yeah and uh you know if they get to hunt more often than me well kudos to them for being so successful in life that that's their position and i'm grateful that they have that money and they're willing to put it back into what we love there are a lot of people in this world that choose to donate uh their money to anti-hunting organizations or political organizations that do everything they can to make sure that what me and you love gets done away with and so i'm just, i'm grateful for the you know for the guys that are willing to spend their money on hunting on conservation and and willing to stand up and and uh, stand tall for it there's a lot of people that uh have taken a lot of heat politically on social media all kinds of death threats and stuff because they were willing to stand up and stand proud for hunting and i'm glad that those people are out there and willing to do it if uh, i had the money i'd i mean i'd be bidding on those tags too i'd be on the other side of the microphone every year if i could you know oh uh, me as well if i if i had those <laughs> that kind of funds it's, i'd be hunting everywhere but that's yeah no it's uh it's unfortunate um what people think sometimes you know it's they're just joe blow throwing their money away and it's going nowhere it's like oh no that that money's going a long ways and we all appreciate it when we get it that's for sure like it, it allows you know we're a volunteer-based nonprofit organization and it'll th those funds they're amazing incredible when we receive big bids on stuff so it's you know i'm getting ready here in two weeks i'm going to go down to las vegas and do an event with the fraternity of the desert bighorn and nevada is the driest state in the lower 48 they are just bone bone dry and you know most of their money goes towards water projects and drinkers and guzzlers and without the money that that group of guys raise there in las vegas at that event every year the number of sheep in nevada wouldn't be anywhere close to what it is and then in northern nevada there's a couple organizations you know chapters that do amazing things and it's it really is hard to put a dollar value on everything that the volunteers get accomplished just the phone calls working with the biologists and and pushing the projects along because nothing in government works fast if it has a good result if it's going to be a poor result it seems like it happens overnight but anything that's that's a, a good quality result is really slow and it would just the sheep in utah here where i'm at nevada Arizona, I mean, all of them would just not be anywhere near what they are today without the volunteers willing to give it their time, 
the people willing to buy the tags, the people willing to come to the events, the people willing to, you know, make the phone calls, send the emails to the biologists, to the fishing game departments, and just kind of push this whole conservation machine along. And it, there really is a lot of a lot of moving parts. Like I said, I feel like I have a pretty unique niche. I have kind of a fun niche, my my little part in it. But uh, it really is impressive to see the see the whole thing work. And you know, you guys have a lot of different issues up in BC where you're at than we have down here in in Utah. And you know, I don't think you guys have too many desert bighorns running around up there. But we got we got all kinds of them down here, and we got you know, they have issues with domestics and predation issues and just water issues. And, you know, every little, every, and every herd has a different issue that they're trying to overcome so that they can keep growing, you know, yeah. I'm glad, there's, glad there's plenty of people that are as passionate about it as, uh, as they need to be to make it keep working. Yeah, right, exactly. Now, I had read somewhere recently, actually, um, that, there's a, a number that was thrown around that you're, you've potentially brought in over $50 million as an auctioneer just for conservation projects and sportsman issues. Or is that an old number? Is that, uh, that climb quite a bit higher? Do you keep a tally? Uh, the last time we actually added it up. And uh, now, I mean, we've kind of got to put that in perspective. <laughs> I'm the guy on the microphone saying sold. That's... yeah. That's that's my little part in the chain. There's people, you know, like Gray Thornton, uh, you know, that runs the organization, that builds the relationship, that gets those permits. Kim Needers, who does a great job getting those permits at the events. They're every bit as important as what my, my little part is. So I think I have pulled the trigger on the last time we counted. It was almost $300 million. So that was an old article I read. <laughs> so. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it, uh, you know, now that, that's sheep. When you, when, you know, when you sell three, four, five hundred thousand dollar sheep permits and stuff, that adds up really fast. Yeah. But we sell a lot of uh, deer and elk permits here in Utah that are fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. And, you know, yeah, it all adds up. And it's, I always tell guys for every $200, I raise that's an acre of land that we get a treat and you know for every two thousand dollars that's a guzzler that goes in and so yeah it's i kind of stopped keeping track of it after a while because it's <laughs> it's all good but, uh, yeah it's fun it's it's fun to be part of it yeah well you're no, you, you might not be directly responsible but you're the face of it so there you go. <laughs> we see all the clips online of you hollering in the money. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I always tease Jana about having the TV show and everybody knowing who she is, and and uh, you know, I walk into Cabela's or Sportsman's Warehouse with her, and I spend half the time taking pictures with her and the people <laughs> that you know want to meet her. And, she goes, yeah, but you're the guy that when we're standing in line at Walmart or someplace like that, as soon as I talk, somebody in front of me turns around and says, hey, were you that auction guy the other night? You sound just like that guy, you know, but I don't, <laughs> I'm not wearing my tux and, you know, I'm wearing camo or something. So, they don't, you yeah. sound just like that guy, but it's, uh, 
it's definitely a fun job to have. It's definitely a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, now you, you know, speaking of fun, you, uh, you're a big coyote guy from as far as I can tell. You're, uh, that's your, that's your next passion. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, I grew up on a sheep ranch down in central Utah and as long as I can remember, coyotes were just public enemy number one, you know, whether it was lambing season or cabin season or whatever, coyotes were just public enemy number one. And uh, ever since I was a little bitty kid, I just really enjoyed hunting coyotes. My dad would take me out. He'd always tell me the most important thing you can do is sit still. So don't move and i remember just sitting there almost being scared to breathe thinking that the coyote was going to see me and and uh run off and we uh man we've spent a lot of time hunting coyotes a lot of time hunting coyotes we've hunted them in canada and all over the u.s mexico and everywhere it's uh it's definitely probably my my favorite thing to favorite thing to do we used to on a lot of competitions and stuff and you know i've had some i've had i've been lucky enough to have some really good hunting partners that i've learned a lot from and when we first started out it was just all hand calls that you just you know blow with your hands now we got all these fancy electronic calls and you can set them out there and run them with remote and they're loaded with a thousand sounds and we hunt with the decoy dogs and thermal imaging and you can hunt i mean if you could stay awake geez you can hunt all night and all day and you know all year round and it's yeah it's a lot of fun i really love it Jana, she loves to hunt coyotes too she's up for any kind of hunting so anytime i'm ready to go coyote hunt she's she's ready to go and we have a lot of we have a lot of fun doing that i was just talking to my buddy uh a few minutes ago before I jumped on the call with you and we were talking about going back to Alberta. Some of the best coyote hunting I've ever, ever been part of was in Southern Alberta. Their coyotes were just lousy. There was, seemed like they ran in herds and they were huge. It was like, and they were really blonde. It was like you were calling in herds of polar bears. It was almost freaky to see those things running across those big canola fields at you. But hopefully I get up there this fall and, I'm able to do some more, but yeah, we really like, we really like coyote hunting. We do a lot of it. What's your, uh, what's your caliber of choice for coyotes? My all time favorite coyote gun is probably still a 22, 250. It's just cause they're super user friendly, accurate, fast, and they're not real picky. You can feed them pretty much any 22-250 ammo, and you're going to be pretty, pretty accurate. I have a 22 Creedmoor that a buddy made me that I really like. It's, it's the one I've been shooting the last year or two. My night hunting gun is a 243 built on an AR-10 platform with a thermal and a suppressor and all the cool toys we have that you guys up in canada don't get to play with but uh yeah, we're jealous i'm telling you that much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we do a lot of that i kind of night hunting's a lot of fun because the coyotes that usually you don't see during the day that are right next to town or out in the big open country that kind of stay hold up during the day you can 
you can get those at night. They're a little little more vulnerable at night. So yeah, I, I really like them. Favorite terrain you like to, to hunt for yotes? Or? I kind of like hunting the high country. A lot of guys are hunt the deserts in the winter, and I kind of hunt the high country in the summer. That probably comes from growing up in the ranching industry in the summer in the high countries where the coyotes used to really give us trouble. I like to go up and take my Fox Pro, get on my side-by-side, or just take my truck, and I'll go up right at dark and start playing a siren just like on a fire truck and get the coyotes. They'll howl at that just like your dog in your backyard howls at the cop car going down the road. and Play that, play some coyote howling sounds and get the coyotes howling. I go up and I'll spend a couple nights during the week for a couple hours up there locating and figuring out where they're at. And then on the weekend, I'll go up there and spend a day or a night and move in where I think they're going to be. And even with your best laid plan hunting coyotes, sometimes it works out great. Sometimes they make you feel like you're a total rookie and never done it before. But I really do like hunting the high country. It's uh, it's a little different. You got to you got to know that uh, you know they're not going to come as far if they got to come across the big canyon as they are out in the flat desert. You got to adjust your setup a little bit. But it's. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. My kids all enjoy it. Jana loves it. My dad, my dad is uh, 78 and he still goes with me all the time. I called him yesterday and he was out checking these coyote traps. So he's still, still way into it also. Yeah. So you find if you're locating them at night, they're usually there in the morning. Yeah. I feel like I have a, I can have a pretty good idea where they're going to be in the morning. Uh, If I'm hunting with my thermal and I can get them to, howl at night and then i just go and set up on them and hopefully within a few minutes i got them coming in but a lot of times especially if i'm going to use my decoy dogs right now until probably the end of august is a real good time to decoy because they got dens and they're super super territorial and you get them howling and then the dogs will run out and uh Kind of pick a fight with them, man. Them coyotes will chase those dogs right back up in your lap. I've shot coyotes at six and seven feet and Tough coming, geez. you know. Just yeah, it's it's crazy, but the, it's really fun hunting with the dogs. It's uh, it used to be not very many guys did, and now everybody's got a coyote dog. It's kind of a kind of the latest fad, but we've had like a lot of work. A, oh yeah, it's a lot of work, but they're. It's a lot of fun. Once in a while, the dogs will come back and trying to get away from the coyotes, and the coyote dogs are running behind you to get away from the coyotes, and the coyotes are jumping around in front of you trying to get to the dogs, and the coyotes know you're there, but they're so mad at the dog being around their den site, they don't care. And, uh, yeah, it gets pretty intense once in a while. If you get on YouTube and look up the decoy dog and stuff, some of them guys have some real good real good footage on there, and it's it's some pretty intense, pretty intense episodes. Uh if you get the dog that close to you, the, the coyotes are running in and you're shooting them at six, seven yards. It's a, quite the feat with a 22-250 trying to look through a Well, it, <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, that's too close to shoot them with a 22-250 for sure. There's, that's shotgun range. When we do coyote contests, a lot of times we'll take shotguns with us because you get a, you know, two or three of them coming in, running hard, and you might get one of them with your, rifle but a lot of times you can get a couple of them if you got a shotgun 
You know, like you say, you got one bust in on you at 10 feet and you're trying to find him in the scope and all you see is a big blurry mess. But if you've got a shotgun laying across your knees, you can grab the shotgun and just point it at him and start throwing throwing four buck at them or copper plated BBs and you can make life pretty hard on a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. How, how long do you typically sit on a set before it's a bust for you? You give them 10, If it's in the summer, if it's in the summer and I have coyotes barking and howling and talking tough like they do a lot of times in the summer, geez, I'll, if I feel like they're interacting with me and that there's still a chance for them to come, I've, I've sat on stand 45 minutes and killed coyotes. If it's in the winter or we're doing a contest, I don't stay near that long. If it's if it's a calling contest, you got to get as many stands in as you can during that day, or if you're going to have a chance to to win. And usually, in the winter, probably 15 minutes is pretty is a pretty good average average time. If I'm night hunting, a lot of times night hunting, they're very vocal at night. If I can get them talking to me night hunting, it's not uncommon for me to spend a half hour on a stand to to get them going sometimes you're lucky and you uh you'll go out i'll play the locator sounds the the siren or the howl the coyotes will fire right up not too far away and you can grab your tripod and your gun and and run set up and you know within five minutes you got coyotes bombing in on you and you get a couple of them down and run take a few pictures and you know, you're off to the next stand. We never used to worry about taking pictures of them when I was a kid. And uh, if you'd have told me something like Instagram or Facebook would have been a thing, maybe I'd have took a few more of them. But, uh, you know, nobody nobody cared. Now it seems like if it doesn't make social media, it's not real. So, you know, we always have yeah, to take it. Never, never happened. Yeah, if it's, if it's not on the gram, it never happened. It's just a story. Yeah. So if you get them going with the locator or the howl, do you do anything to bring them in, like a wounded rabbit or anything? Or you just... yeah, in this time of year, this time of year I play a lot of just vocals, female howls, pup howls, pup distress sounds, uh, a lot of that. In the winter, when they're not quite as territorial territorial i'll play a lot of rabbit sounds i still play pup sounds pup sounds work all year long uh, a real good sound that a lot of people use that the old timers really loved is woodpecker sounds like the old yellow hammer woodpecker the old raspy woodpecker those bird sounds they're really really busy really obnoxious and uh, they seem to work pretty good those work really good too if you're calling in like bobcats or something like that. The cats seem to really like the busy, obnoxious sounds. So we play a lot of those in the winter. Yeah, if you get them all fired up, do you usually settle down on the sound and just let them come in and go quiet? Yeah, if they, uh, if they, you can, when you go out and play the uh, locator, it's almost like you can tell by the way they answer you if they're going to come in. I mean, if they fire right up and they, you know, sound like a smart aleck teenager that's begging for a fight, you know, you know, <laughs> the, the odds are pretty good they're going to show up. Once in a while, you'll get one that'll give you just kind of a lone bark or a woof. And we call it a booger bark. And they're basically telling you, listen, 
saw you walk in. I saw your headlights on your truck or I smelled you. I know you're not what you're pretending to be and I'm not playing your game. And a lot of times when you get the booger bark, you never see him. I always still try it because I always think, well, there's always a chance. I know there's a coyote there, but if you get the booger bark, uh, usually you're not going to see him. If you get the, I used to tell guys all the time when, uh, I do seminars, coyote seminars and that. When I was a little kid, my grandpa, who I went and visited just the other day, he's 99 years old, lives right up the road from me. When I was a kid and I'd go to grandpa's house, he he had just had this big, deep voice. And it really didn't matter what he said. He was very intimidating. And you just knew that you did not mess with grandpa. I had a cousin... My cousin Joey, and it didn't matter what Joey said, just the sound of his voice made me want to smack him. And so, you know, he wasn't intimidating. He was annoying. I wanted to smack him. And I always tell guys, when you're when you're talking back to the coyotes, you don't necessarily want to be grandpa. You don't want to be intimidating. You want to be cousin Joey, the one that <laughs> everybody knows, you know, that they're not scared of you. They're annoyed with you. And that they could probably kick your butt. And that's the kind of sounds I like to, you know, I'll howl at them and bark at them. And I never try to sound really over aggressive, maybe, you know, like a yearling or something that thinks he's tough, that probably needs his butt kicked. That's the kind of sounds I like to make. And I don't want to, I don't want to scare anything away by intimidating them. I want to make them mad and want them thinking that, you know, you don't need to be afraid of me. Why don't you come in here and beat me up and then. We'll see how it works out. Yeah, I think that goes uh, along the way for a lot of different species too. Like, you know, when I go mountain mule deer hunting, I'll use the young buck grunt, and that usually brings in the big boys because they're not intimidated. They're not if they're tired, they're coming in hot and heavy, and they're like, "I'll just kick this guy's butt, and he can move on with my day." Yeah, you know, in elk hunting too, when we uh, bugle an elk, I was, you know, fighting sound like a two or three year old satellite bowl or something like that. You know, nobody's scared of those guys. They're just annoying you. They're just in your way trying to steal your girls and the big bulls. They just, a lot of times they just come charging right in thinking they're going to whip you. And I, uh, so yeah, I think that's maybe a little bit of a universal idea across calling everything is you don't got to sound intimidating. Just irritating is probably a a more desirable result. (laughs) Yeah. So you, you mentioned competitions. You uh, for coyote? Have you gone down to the World Coyote Comp- Championships? Yep, I've uh, I've called in the worlds. I think I've been to the worlds four or five times, and I've never won it. I've placed. Uh, me and my buddy that lives just over the mountain, we've placed a couple times. If we'd have been 10 minutes faster to check in, we'd have placed a lot higher, but they used to do it so that if five of you had, five teams had 10 coyotes, whoever checked in first, that was a tiebreaker. But I got buddies that have, a couple buddies that have won it. Uh, One buddy who's won it several times. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. There, I tell you, there's some guys that are very, very effective uh, competition callers and you know if you're going to be a good competition caller you got to spend a 
a lot of time scouting, a lot of time talking to landowners, getting getting permission on good areas lined up. Because you can be the best caller in the world, but if you're out calling to beat up country that gets hunted and there's not very many coyotes and you're just you're just not gonna you're not gonna have enough coyotes come in to win. And you've gotta make, you know, twenty five or thirty stands a day and have pretty good success on all those stands to be competitive. So it's a lot of fun. It's we've won big dog the heaviest coyote and little dog, the smallest coyote. I've won both of those <laughs> a couple times. Uh, well, you can't can't skip by that without giving us some weights. Uh, I can't remember what the little dog was. The big dog, the year we won big dog, he was a little over 35 pounds, That's which is, coyote. yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a big coyote. Now, if we were up in, you know, BC or Alberta or someplace up there, 35 would be an average size female, you know, and a 50 pound male would be winning big dog. But we were in Arizona and a 35 pound male in Arizona is pretty good size. Pretty good pretty, size. Pretty skinny down there. Big yeah, they just, skin. it seems like the farther south you go, the smaller they are for some yeah. reason. I don't, you know, I don't, I could be wrong, but that's what it seems like to me that the Texas coyotes and that are not very big they're kind of scraggly looking they're they're not they're not attractive coyotes down there the coyotes we kill in when we were hunting in alberta are gorgeous huge blonde just gorgeous coyotes and we skinned all those and brought their hides home but now a lot of the ones we shoot down here in the deserts they're they look like wily coyote they're skinny they're scraggly they're ugly you just shoot them for general purposes yeah, and they probably don't get uh, the the good winter coat that you'd get up in Alberta. So they, yeah, they we get some really good winter coats, but it's just, it's nothing like Alberta. Nothing like Alberta. It was. I can't wait when my buddy called me a little while ago and asked me about going back up there this year. I mean, I cannot wait. That's gonna be. That's gonna be amazing. What what time of year are you guys looking at going? Probably uh, end of October, just because that's, I think that's when we can fit a weekend. I'm not sure. It depends. It all depends on uh, what we draw in the, in the drawings here for the hunt draws. We should know here in the state of Utah by the end of May what our hunt draw looks like. I think that... Uh, we're probably going to be hunting mountain goats this fall with Jana. And I think we're probably going to draw a whitetail tag in Iowa. Uh, there's a pretty good chance we'll draw a deer tag, at least one deer tag here in Utah. And she's got so many other hunts going on all the time that it's, it's, uh, it's an ongoing struggle to get just the uh, schedule worked out. But I mentioned to her that, my buddy wanted to go back to Alberta and hunt coyotes, and of course she wants to get in on that deal. So we'll have to we'll have to plan it for a week when she can go. One thing about hunting with Jana is uh, she is a very proficient killer. The first time I ever went coyote hunting with her, we went. I think it was a day and or a day and a half, and we I called in five coyotes, and she shot all five coyotes and. I mean, it was just, I was like, 
I've hunted with a lot of guys that have hunted coyotes for a lot of years that were not as efficient as getting them dead as she is. So, yeah, you got to know when you take Jana that uh, she's definitely going to get her share of the shooting in. You're just carrying the backpack and the lunch and watching the show? <laughs> yeah, she she's, uh, you know, for some, I will say this about her. For somebody that has a television show and has been involved in the industry as long as she has, she is as happy with other people's success as anybody I've ever been around. And, you know, that's one thing I think that our, not just the hunting industry, the hunting community, but the world in general could use a lot more of is if we will learn to be happy with other people's success, then, you know, we're going to have a happy life. And that's one thing about Jana. She takes veterans out every year on a hunt or two. And I mean, she's as happy when those vets shoot a big old bull elk as if it was her pulling the trigger. She takes kids out on a turkey hunt and she gets them a, a turkey, you know, their first animal. And she's just over the moon happy for them. And it's, it's a lot of fun to hunt with somebody like that because, you know, whether it's me pulling the trigger, her pulling the trigger, if I'm on the camera or she's on the camera and the other one's hunting, you know, it's a, it's a team deal. And she's, she's always super happy for whoever has the success. And that, that makes it a lot of fun. And I've been pretty lucky. Most of the guys I hunt with are like that. I think, you know, if you hunt with people that have a tendency to be a little jealous or aren't happy when you have success, you have a tendency not to hunt with them too much. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they quickly become not your hunting partner. <laughs> yeah, they they quickly become somebody else's hunting partner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a few run-ins with guys like that, and they <laughs> if they're not shooting, they're not happy. It's like, oh, I don't see the problem, man. You shot at this happening. Yeah, and, you know, my dad, growing up hunting with my dad, he'd always tell me, the, the thing that matters is that the coyote ends up dead. It doesn't matter if I pull the trigger or you pull the trigger. When one of us gets a good shot, the coyote needs to die. We don't got to worry about jumping the trigger on each other. You know, oh, I got to hurry and get a shot so that he doesn't. He'd always tell me the important thing is that the coyote gets shot. Because once you call one of them in and shoot at him, and if you miss him, well, that coyote's pretty smart, and you're not going to see him again for a long time. And he can do a lot of damage on the lambs and the fawns by the time, you know, somebody else gets him. So that would always tell me it doesn't matter who shoots him as long as he gets shot. So he, uh, my dad was never, ever one to worry about being the one to pull the trigger. Well, that's a, that's a good motto. Uh, the importance of predator hunting is... A lot of people underestimate what a coyote can do. They devastate the sheep populations around here. They just they hammer them. We got areas that have no lambs, and it's all coyotes just wiping them out one by one. Coyotes and you know, when eagle. But. Yeah, when Jana drew her uh, Rocky tag in Montana, we hunted and scouted and spent days and days and days on the mountain. And the first week of the hunt that we went up there and hunted, I think we saw 45, in the 40s somewhere, 45 adult sheep and one lamb. One lamb. And I was talking to a biologist that 
I, I could tell as soon as we started the conversation that we were going to see things different. And this biologist tried to convince me, oh, no, 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 that's all disease. That's not predators, that's disease. And I said, well, I watched that herd of sheep for two weeks, hoping that the rams would show up. I never saw one cough. I never saw one snotty nose. They were all fat. I mean, they looked great, but they had no lambs. So that's not a disease issue to me. And that place was littered with wolf tracks, littered with coyote tracks, littered with lion tracks. I know darn well it was the predators. I mean, I know it was the predators. And then Jana just found out from a different biologist that was over that unit that they shut it down this year just because the lamb recruitment was so poor that the quality of the sheep there just wasn't what they felt like they could offer in the draw. So they, they ended up shutting that unit down. But I'm telling you, anybody that is into sheep hunting, big mule deer hunting, uh, you know, elk hunting, you better pay attention to your predators, especially, you know, sheep and, and deer are very susceptible to coyotes. If you have wolves, your elk, your moose, all of that is in trouble. And, you know, I, I don't want to see the coyotes gone. I love to hunt them as much as anything, but you, you better be able to manage them to the point where you can put enough pressure on them to save your ungulates or you're not going to have coyotes or wolves or ungulates to hunt mother nature. You know, I have this conversation all the time with anti hunters. Well, mother nature will work it out. Well, mother nature works on a boom and bust system. We try to manage, you know, keep the highs as high as we can and keep the, the low population years as high as we can. Mother nature, they say, well, you know, when the prey species are gone, the, the predators will die off. Well, yeah, as true as that is, that's a 150-year process, and I don't want to wait that long. I don't want my kids to wait that long, you know. So, yeah, predator management is definitely a, a huge part of uh, population uh, control and, and, and conservation. I mean, we definitely need to be able to manage our predators. Yeah, one of, you know, a lot of the anti-hunters, they, they don't want to hear that we are mother nature. We've played a role for far too long. We've created highways, logging, oil and gas. We've opened up these super hunt, super highways for wolves to decimate animals. You know, how easily they could take out the caribou when they're running the gas lines. It's we've, we've put a lot of the ungulates in that situation. We're, we well, we're, we're part of the, yeah, we're part of the food chain. We are part of the, we're part of that pyramid. And, I saw a video the other day that somebody posted on social media of a big old boar black bear that grabbed a cub and just crunched it. I mean, and it was brutal. It was hard to watch. Yeah. And the point was that those big old boar black bears will find those sows with cubs, kill the cubs, bring the sow back into heat so they can breed her. And... I, you know, that always strikes up conversations with people on the threads under the videos. And, you know, I, I said it, a few other guys said it too, that hunting really is the most humane part of the food chain. Okay. I don't, you know, I don't chase a deer down and bite it on the back of the neck and try to suffocate it or, you know, or, or uh, 
like we used to see on the sheep ranch, the coyotes had run a run a ewe down and eat her udder off or eat her hind quarter off while she was standing there trying to keep them away from their lambs. And hunting really is the most humane part of the food chain, of the food cycle. And I wish more hunters were a little tactful in how they tell the story of hunting and that we did a little better job presenting it in a respectful way. But also, you know, people need to know that there is absolutely nothing wrong with hunting. And we ha and I, I made this comment when I was on the Utah Wildlife Board to some anti-hunters. I think we were discussing the crow hunt and all the anti-hunters showed up to fight against the crow hunt that we needed to deal with depredation in the orchards. And they're like, well, if, you know, if we hunt them, they're going to, they're going to be gone. And I said, no, no, we have wildlife because we hunt wildlife. And in so many cases, in so many cases, that is, that is true. And I just kind of set it off the cuff and they put it in all the newspapers and made fun of me. And, you know, this is the chairman of the wildlife board. Look what an idiot he is. And the more I've thought about that over the years since then, the more I believe it's true. We have mountain goats here in the state of Utah because of hunters, because we hunt them. We funded all kinds of projects to spread mountain goats in all the possible habitat that we can get them. We have more sheep units today in the state of Utah than we ever have because of hunters. We're doing collar studies on mountain lions, on bears, on mule deer. We know more about what causes mule deer fawn mortality today than we ever have because of the collar studies we've done all funded 100% from hunting. And so, you know, do we, do we have bad apples that don't do a good job of representing us and our lifestyle and our passion? Yeah, we, we have, we have some of those and I wish they were a little more mindful of how they represented us on social media, you know, but as hunters, we should be very proud of what we've accomplished. Cause I'm telling you, I believe it more now than I ever have that we have wildlife because we hunt wildlife yeah. you know and, and that's as evident in the in the sheep world as anywhere yeah no i i wholeheartedly agree with that statement that's uh it's bold and it's hard for people to understand if they're just looking from the outside and not willing to fully listen to it but it's it's the truth speak the truth man <laughs> yeah yeah i uh one day i got a phone call from uh it was a popped up on my cell phone it was from new york it was the new york times they called our sportsman's group down here to talk about because wolves were a hot topic in the news at that time and they wanted to know what we thought about wolves and i says well i don't really think the wolf issue here in the, the lower 48 really has all that much to do with the wolf i says the wolf is the you know the furry fuzzy you know iconic silver bullet that they want to use to kill the culture of the West, meaning grazing, hunting, uh, timber, energy development, mining, all those kind of things. The wolf, the political club that the wolf becomes, gives you know that side of the political spectrum uh, the weapon they need to shut all that down. To a large degree and oh my goodness he and the guy quoted me like 
verbatim, word for word. He, he got it accurate, exactly what I said. We got all kinds of death threats, you know, my, uh, my kids, the family, everybody was freaking out because I was getting all kinds of emails and everybody on the, uh, on the thread under the story on the New York times was saying how we all needed to die and how they hoped my house burned down. And it was, it was crazy. And it, it's, it's amazing how predators stir up emotion in people, but that is one place that is as hunters and as sportsmen, we really, really, really need to stand strong is if we can't manage predators, we're in trouble and they are a very, very effective political weapon and you know you you go to the grandma goes to the mailbox and she lives in south florida she doesn't have wolves she doesn't you know and so she sees a uh, a postcard with some fuzzy little wolf pups on them saying hey you know help save us send your 20 bucks to montana to the you know save the wolves of the rockies organization yeah. and oh my gosh i gotta do my part and uh, they're a very, very effective political machine that, uh, you know, that we will fight every day for the rest of our lives. Yeah, we, we seem to go through it here, you know, once every year or so of the, the anti-wolf hunting movement. And, you know, for the Wild Sheep Society, we actually have a, an Act Now program where it's like a easy sign form letter to go to government and, we had, I think it was, it was decent numbers on our end. We were at, you know, 50,000 people signed it. Over a million people signed the Stop the Wolf Hunt. And, you know, there's some celebrities down south that got involved and just kind of <laughs> threw it all in our faces. And the death threats came along with it. And it's, oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh. I hear, you know, I hear people say, well, what what we need to do is this. If we can just do this. You know, we'll get the, we'll win the wolf issue. We, if we can just do this, we'll fix the deer herd. Or if we'll just do this, you know, we'll get our, our sheep herd back here. And this year, me and some buddies were sitting around talking about it, and it kind of dawned on me that, you know, good conservation and good populations and great hunting opportunity isn't really a destination that we get to. And then we're there and we don't have to worry about it anymore. It's a fight that we're going to be in every day for the rest of our lives. You know, hopefully my kids will take it up and my grandkids and, and everybody else will be passionate about it and want to push it along. But, you know, there's so many issues and so many things that fight against sheep, that fight against healthy mule deer populations, that, you know, the being able to hunt grizzly bears, how we manage wolves. Though I don't ever see us getting to a place or there being a destination where, okay, we've won and now we can, now we can just enjoy it. You know, we're going to be, we're going to be involved in these things pretty heavily for the rest of our lives or as long as we can stand it. And then hopefully somebody else is willing to take up the sword, but yeah, it's, it's a lot. There's always a lot going on and, you know, the things we do to hunt sheep, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's all for the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> it's all for the sheep. Yeah. So if, yeah, well, it's a 
always a tough conversation when it gets down to the predator hunting. Um, we can go on for for days on that one. So switch switch gears a little bit here. <laughs> I don't know if we got enough time to just keep going with that one. That's um, right. Yep, predators could go on forever. Um, this this fall coming up, you know, you, you you've got your plan for some tags. So hopefully you get them. Do you have any major plans going on? Aside from hoping for a couple of draws? Uh, well, I believe that I'm pretty sure there's a mountain goat hunt involved. I have a grizzly bear hunt booked with Lance Kronberger for the spring of 24 in Alaska. So I'm really looking forward to that. And that and i'm pretty sure we'll get we'll draw our iowa tags other than that right now it's still kind of up in the air i'm sure i'll go do some general season hunting elk hunting with my dad that's that's his favorite thing to do he loves to hunt elk and uh, he's 78 years old and he still takes his pack string of horses and mules on the mountain every year to pitch a tent and have a camp and and hunt elk so i'm sure i'll do that for a few days and then uh you know geez it's we're almost halfway through the year already and soon as the new year turns over then it's back into show season and then i don't hunt much till may or june again so yeah but right now that's about all we have i'm uh i'm really looking forward to mountain goat hunting with Jana. she's uh I think she's got a great hunt put together there. And, you know, that's another thing about hunting with Jan is when you hunt with uh, somebody's got a TV show, everything has to be on camera. And you'll spend, you know, hours and hours filming all the cool cutaways of camp and, and getting your gun ready and getting out of the truck and the hike and all this and that. And then it comes right down to it. And, uh, when it comes time to pull the trigger, if you miss the kill shot, then uh, then it was all for naught. You know, you bought the tag, you booked the hunt, and everything, and then you missed the kill shot, and you blew it. So you always gotta you always gotta be ready for that, and it adds a whole new level of planning and work to the hunt. But it really is fun after the fact to see her editor you know that email come through from her editor saying uh, here's your episode and see it all come together on film that's always a lot of fun so yeah we only have those couple things planned but i'm already you know thinking about all the cool things we got to do to make sure we get a good video and turn into some good episodes for a show that's been yeah. a fun thing to be part of yeah i know it's neat to be able uh, be able to follow along on some of your guys's adventures when it when it comes to that you now not yeah not we've been uh, yes, go ahead yeah i was gonna say we've been uh we're just closing on a house and uh <laughs> we we go in and talk to you know realtors and all these people their houses and all that and we it's important that we got a lot of wall space and we tell everybody well we gotta have a lot of wall space for taxidermy and without question every single time everybody looks at me and goes oh are you a big hunter well you know i try to be but She's the one with all the taxidermy. What? You know? Yeah, she's got a 
you know, she shot a giant moose in Alaska and she's got a big out. She's got full body mount bears and lions and she's got her sheep mounted and just all this stuff. And everybody's like, you, it's all hers. Well, not all of it. I mean, I got a couple things, but yeah, she's, <laughs> she's got a lot more of it than I do. And so that's been kind of fun to, to see people's reactions, but it's, I'm really looking forward to, uh, this fall she moved down from montana this spring and we're getting married in june and then getting the house so that's probably going to eat up a lot of uh a lot of time that we would have spent on the mountain getting ready to hunt so we know we got but then again like i said we got the mountain goat hunt got the grizz hunt next year and a few things so we're not going to lack for for things to do this year that's for sure yeah a little busy Bit of a world. Yeah, you guys just get engaged at one of the shows this this well, winter. Well, I so the night before we went up to the Western Hunt Expo in Salt Lake. So her stepson Brennan, who she's really close with, super good guy. He wanted to go on a mountain lion hunt. And when he graduated college, she gave him a mountain lion hunt. She said, "I'll get you a mountain lion hunt for his graduation present." And a cousin of mine's a really good houndsman, got some really good dogs here in Utah. And so we lined it up with him that right after Hunt Expo, he was going to take him out lion hunting. And so we brought Brennan down. He hung it out at Expo with us. And we, uh, I thought, well, you know, I wanted to propose. So I got the ring and the night before she, we went up to Hunt Expo, she wanted to go sight in the gun that Brandon was going to be using. It's her Desert Eagle 429. I mean, it's the most amazing pistol you've ever seen. So we were up the canyon sighting in that gun that Brandon was going to shoot the lion with. And she'd been driving my truck, and uh, we were. it was freezing cold, like zero degrees, freezing cold. And I got out and walked around the front of the truck, looked under the front of the truck. I says, what are you doing? What'd you do to my truck? And she's like, what? I said, something's wrong with the truck. And she come walking around the front of the truck and I had the ring all ready to go. And she's like, really? You're asking me up here? Like we're up in the middle of nowhere in the mountains, freezing cold. <laughs> and I says, well, I kind of wanted to surprise you. And she goes, well, you definitely surprised me. And that, yeah, I had a bunch of people ask me, and then we took some pictures of the hunt expo with the ring and that, but had a bunch of people ask me, why didn't you ask her like on stage at the expo and that? I says, well, if she turned me down, I didn't want 2,000 witnesses <laughs> of me standing there on stage. <laughs> so, a bunch of people filming. <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't want to be insta-famous for Jana telling me no, but I didn't think that would happen, but no, I definitely surprised her. And So yeah, it was fun getting engaged and then going to some of the shows and being able to celebrate and share all that with friends and family. It's... Uh, it's been a really good year and it's fun to be with somebody that is so passionate about hunting and about conservation. She was on the Montana uh, wildlife commission for just about two years and got to deal with the wolf issues and all kinds of crazy things up there. And then she moved down here. She gave that position up to somebody else, but you know, we get up Saturday morning and, go somewhere and do an auction and get home late Saturday night. I'm thinking, Oh, I got Sunday off. I'm going to relax. And she's like, what are you going to do today? I'm like, Oh, let's just relax a little bit. All right. And, you know, about 20 minutes later, that's enough relaxing. And she's ready to go on the mountain or, you know, go on the desert or go 
go uh, take the dogs, go for a hike, go coyote hunting, whatever. Man, she loves adventure, and it's good. It keeps me going, and it's 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 a lot of fun, and it's it's fun to see her be so effective and so oh, what's the word I'm looking for? So successful in the hunting industry that is so dominated by men and yeah. she's been you know she's had her tv show she was on the network for nine years now she's been on carbon tv for four or five years and you know she just she doesn't show any signs of slowing down or giving it up and she's she loves what she does and it's fun to see somebody that it's just so effective at being good at something that she loves in a field that is really male dominated. So, and I've, I've learned a lot from her. She's, yeah, she's pretty amazing. You got big boots to fill when you marry her. Oh man. Yeah. She, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lot taller than her, but she casts a big shadow. She casts a big (laughs) shadow. And then we were, uh, this weekend from a birthday in that her best friend, Julie McQueen, who runs carbon TV was, was down. I think Julie was on with you guys here a while ago. And, yeah, and, uh, she was on actually the other the other day as well. Yeah, and yeah. you know Julie, she's it's like I'm riding around in the truck with Jan and Julie, and they're talking about you know how amazing you know Carbon TV is and how advertising's going this way and the video market's going this way. And I'm just you know I'm driving the truck thinking, holy cow. You know, I don't know how I'm ever going to keep up with this too, because they're just they're just so driven and so successful. It's it's I wouldn't say it's intimidating, but you better bring your A game if you're going to hang out with those two. <laughs> yeah, I believe it for sure. <laughs> well, John, that's uh, we're about eating up all our time here. So, I'd like to say well, congratulations on the engagement and the the wedding coming up. Uh, happy birthday and. It was great chatting with you tonight. You know, I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate what you guys are doing, and I appreciate your passion for for hunting and for sheep and, and all you guys do. If there's ever anything I can do to help you out, let me know, and really appreciate you having me on.